Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. To ask what is our aim, I can answer in one word, victory. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up. Sport has the power to change the world. It has the power to inspire. So welcome to our podcast. We've got two great guests here today. Dave Banks, uh, who has been a CEO for 32 years at a variety of companies. And you can read more on our site about uh, Dave's bio. Uh, and he uh, has been uh, doing a, a great deal of, uh, of coaching and developing of leaders over that period of time. Uh, and then Todd Singleton, uh, who is currently the head of field engineering for Saffron AI. He's always good at Intel which is always good to have an AI person in here, especially considering the fact that today we may talk about uh, uh, Facebook and, and Mark Zuckerberg uh, a, a little bit, and he will have some interior knowledge about what goes on there maybe. Uh, but Todd also uh, played basketball at Duke, and he and I spend a lot of time talking about that and being around Coach Krzyzewski. But again, you can look on the site. These guys both have a, a tremendous resumes and a lot more uh, that you'll you'll maybe want to uh, get as background. Uh, but this is the Leading Good podcast, changing its name to Leading Different. Uh, we wanted to be able to get a little bit more uh, focus on what we do. And so today our theme is addressing the leadership crisis. Now, uh, Todd has had a, a great deal of influence on me, the host, your host, Russ Ewell, and uh, so has Dave Banks. And so I brought them together because I thought we could have a tremendous, at least beginning conversation. Hopefully I'll convince these guys to come back. Uh, about leadership. And one day about four to five weeks ago, uh, Todd and I were talking and we were discussing probably the NBA draft first, but then uh, we were discussing leadership and I was making some comments and he said, well, I feel like we're in a leadership crisis right now. And so I wanted him to go ahead and tell us what what he what he meant by that so that he can begin uh, the theme and thesis of his book he'll be writing eventually. <laughs> well, firstly, thanks for being um, – it's good to be here, Russ, and talking about this particular topic. It's a topic that I follow quite a bit. But in terms of why I said that a few weeks ago, why is there a leadership crisis? I think a lot of it has to do with how you see leadership uh -huh. as to whether or not you believe there's a crisis or not. Okay. So if I look at leadership in terms of two things, one – my philosophy towards leadership, and two, what's the qualification of a good leader? Okay. That influences my perspective. Makes sense. So on the first point, if I think about leadership and I look at that and I say, if I lean towards the servant model of leadership, where a leader is a servant of the people they serve. All right, that's one view. The other okay. far extreme is a leader is to be served, a yeah. more authoritative or fascist type view. So depending on how, you know, I lean more towards the, the former. Yeah. And then secondly, how do I qualify good leadership um, when I'm hiring somebody or when I'm just trying to grow myself as a leader? Mm -hmm. I look at three things. I look at competence. Okay. I look at um, character. Yep. And I look at connection, relationship mm -hmm. building. I like those. And so in my opinion, in terms of why I said there's a leadership crisis, I think as it relates to character as a qualifier – we are certainly at a crossroads, right? I think most people lean heavily on competence. Can someone get something done? Can they move people from point A to point B? And then connections, you know, certainly from a relationship standpoint, are you connected to power? Right. Um, but what's often underplayed is are you connected to people who aren't in power? Right. And do you build relationships in that way? But I really think character as a qualifier is being uh, challenged quite a bit right now. Wow, that's great. So, Dave, we're going to come over to you. Todd just rolled out. I had not heard these from you before. So <laughs> when I steal them and you hear them uh, being spoken as my ideas, you can appreciate my ability to steal. But uh, competence, character, connection, leadership crisis. What do you think about Todd's thesis who's getting us started right here? Uh, I would agree. It's a, it's a good, uh, good way to characterize it. For me, I, I like to... Um, I live in a world where I like models. I like to have examples of things. And uh, the two examples I look to that um, I, I don't think we see these days, uh, one's corporate and the other is political. The corporate example was the way Bill and Dave, Bill Hewlett and Dave Packard started Hewlett Packard. And um, they um, 
they basically built the company around the HP way, which was not like a mission statement or some kind of uh, advertising thing. It was really what they believed in. Wow. Which is we have trust and respect for individuals. We focus on a high level of achievement and contribution. We conduct our business with uncompromising integrity. We achieve our common objectives through teamwork. We encourage flexibility and innovation. Those are words you don't hear very much today from corporate executives. Yeah. The second example, political example, is Winston Churchill. Oh, boy. And kind of to keep it short, I'm a big fan of his. Um, All during the 30s, he warned everybody who would listen to him, which was not very many people, that Germany was rearming and going to be a big problem, and nobody listened to him. Right. And then finally, after a lot of turmoil uh, where the appeasers got in trouble uh, in in Britain, uh, he was made prime minister in in, uh, 1940. And he gave, you know, he he communicated well, gave speeches. He basically galvanized the British populace to um, be ready for war. But what most people don't realize is from 1940 till almost the end of 1942, he also ran the war. He led the war effort. And every single initiative in those two years he led failed. Mm. It, it was, a, it was, an, it wow. was, he was defeated by Germany time and time and time again. And right. yet the people never, never gave up on, mm-hmm. on, on him or gave up on believing that, that, uh, that basically he was going to get them through it. Right. So, um, I was talking about servant leadership. I mean, he, he saw his responsibility to to galvanize, to lead, to keep the people of Britain um, strong in really being the only bulwark against uh, Nazism in Europe. If he had not been there, um, it, you know, who, who knows what would have happened? Right. So those are two those are two kinds of models I look at and I think about, and I agree that we are um, we have a dearth of that kind of leadership, both in the corporate and the uh, political level now. Wow. So as I listen to you, and I love Churchill too, that, that whole documentation of his journey in the wilderness, William Manchester, the book called Alone. Oh, I've, well, I've read all three of those volumes. Yeah, me too. And I, that, the second one's my favorite because he's just all alone, completely alone. Never gave up. Yeah. Now what's strike, boy, we have never talked about that before. We need, that, that's a podcast <laughs> right there. Todd, you're back. Dave, you're back. We're going to do a Churchill podcast. Agreed. Um, so here's the thing that strikes me about the two of you guys. You both have a theory of leadership. Like you both have a view of what a leader ought to be like. And I'm wondering, do you think that's part of the crisis is that a lot of people who are being developed as leaders or becoming leaders, they actually don't have a theory of leadership. They don't, to take your phrasing and frame, Todd, they don't have a sense of, okay, I know here's the extreme on one end, here's the extreme on the other. And having that philosophy of leadership, I'm able to draw from that. Having read history, I'm able to draw from that to figure out what kind of leader I should be. And when I get into good situations, I know how to behave because I've seen the success of a leader. Or when I'm failing, I know how to handle it. I, I, do, I don't know, but do you think, let's just, you know, if we look at, okay, so I mentioned before we were on air here, Mark Zuckerberg, and I think he's taking a big, uh, a lot of hits for his company failing to protect the elections, which I'm not sure that's his job. But no, I am sure it's not his job. But I'm wondering if a lot of our young leaders don't have a philosophy of leadership. I'm wondering if they're not getting a philosophy of leadership because it's not being taught in our educational system and other places. So you guys have great definition of leadership. Do you think that's a problem is people don't have a philosophy or a definition of leadership, either one of you? I think the I think the values have have changed as technology has led to um, instant gratification instead of delayed gratification. Okay. I grew up in the fifties, and most men thought about working their entire life and then retiring and having fun. Okay. You know that delayed gratification. Right. We now are we're now unhappy if we don't get something delivered that we've ordered. You know, in two days. Guilty. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think I think part of this. Is a um, is a move uh, movement towards kind of s- selfishness. Uh, you know, you want things the way you want them, and you feel like if you don't look out for yourself, there's nobody else that's going to look out for you. Right. I'm not sure whether it's an educational failure 
or whether we're just culturally we've culturally undergone a a, a major shift in the last fifteen years where um, you know our values have changed. Well, it, so I'll just keep riding on that for a minute. Isn't culture a result of where leaders lead us? So if the culture is more selfish, would that not be indicative of the fact that our leaders we have have led us to greater selfishness? I'm not saying that's for sure, but I'm asking a question. Yes and no. I, I think our leaders, uh, um, I would I put it differently. I would say our leaders have not have not done enough to lead us toward the, the servant end of, the, of Todd's scale. Okay. They're... Their example has been more about, you know, keeping the economy strong. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of good stuff to some extent, but it it, it we're not um, we're not putting out people who are um, going to stick their necks out to uh, make sure that the population or the the group they're responsible for are are, are are cared for well. Okay, all right. I love where we're going. I see Todd over there thinking. He looks yeah. like he's about to lay one on us. So great point. Um, so in terms of your question, um, do young people or do leaders today have lack, a lack of definition or personal conviction about what leadership is? I'd say yes, but I want to, you know, there's a caveat to that answer. Okay. In that I don't think that things are getting worse as it relates to leadership which sounds like a, a bit of a contradiction in that I said we're in a leadership crisis. Mm-hmm. If I look back throughout history, I think we have cycles. Yeah. And I think there are several periods in American history where I feel like there was certainly a leadership crisis. Yeah. I think we are in a similar period now. Then there are periods in, the, in history where I think, you know, you could feel better about leadership. And so I, I thought that was a nuance worth saying. Um, in terms, so with that said, I don't think there is a historically significant lack of definition or philosophy around leadership. I think it comes and goes. And in a lot of ways, because as a culture, we're not very deliberate about teaching leadership. It's not institutionalized very well. So you could, uh, you could argue that these cycles are somewhat random based on what surfaces. Yeah. I do think there's a lack of conviction and uh, definition of leadership, but uh, I don't think it's historically far worse than any other period in American history. I just think it's it feels a bit more random. Yeah. So you guys got you, so many questions are flowing through my mind as you're talking, but I'm going to jump to history. So if you go back to the beginning of the country, right? And you pick one of my favorite leaders is Alexander Hamilton. And this is before Hamilton was written. I went to Alexander Hamilton Elementary School. I ran for treasurer when I was like in fourth grade of Alexander Hamilton Elementary School. Um, when you go back to that time, say Thomas Jefferson, who happens to be one of my favorites, but is in, in he's in bad shape, you know, now because people see the slavery, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and in all that, but they saw that then there were people who saw him keeping slaves then and didn't like it. And yet he was able to be a leader. Um, there were people, Alexander Hamilton, who I think his, his, his history is pretty well known, you know, not coming from a two parent family and, and, and maybe mixed and all this stuff that would have been far worse back then. You know, he, he was able to surface as a leader. Um, um, obviously George Washington was able to serve as a leader. Several others were able to serve as a leader. Benjamin Franklin, you go through the list, right? All these guys. Now, some people out there say, well, they were all white guys. Well, that, that, that's where we were at the time. So let's, 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 let's correct for time and say, do, did have through history, through those cycles, have people been more forgiving of leaders flaws than they are today? And is that part of the crisis, which I want to, thread that needle you were threading Todd which is it's not that we're worse off now I would agree with that we're not worse off now but we are shallower now I think we've got a shallower bench it's not like when you look at the next presidential election or the next even the governor's elections that there's these all these people that are running that you're like oh my gosh who do we pick right it's not like that so I'm wondering if we are we have become more unforgiving of of leaders because leaders are going to make mistakes they're going to do things that are wrong and churchill right he's a perfect example of a guy who had extraordinary run of success and then he he did he made a number of mistakes some military um 
and they they drove him out and he was in a desert. And yet in the 60s, he comes back and leads and becomes probably the most significant, if not most important leader of the 20th century. So I'm wondering, are we less forgiving? Because right now, Abraham Lincoln couldn't get elected because people would say, well, at one time you were for slavery. Now you're now you're kind of more understanding of it. Uh, FDR wouldn't be elected because we'd say, well, you're in a wheelchair and you're disabled. And obviously the you know, journalists hid some of that. But I just think, you know, Kennedy couldn't get elected for, you know, the obvious reasons. Martin Luther King probably couldn't be out there speaking because people would be talking about his things. So things are so much more transparent today that I'm wondering, is it possible for someone to endure all that? Just a question. Great question. I I don't think we're less forgiving. I just think we know more. I think information flows more freely. And 200 years ago, it was way easier to control the narrative. Right. Or someone could have a double life and hide it very easily. Right. Right. Um, And I think um, in all eras, culture affects leadership and leadership affects culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do not think we are more shallow today than we were then. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think that at all. I just think, um, yeah, there's just a proliferation of information. And it's easier to get your flavor of information right. than it was before. Okay. Dave, you going to weigh in on that? Yeah, I, uh, I'll come back to technology. Uh, we can get anything, any information we want almost instantly and a lot of information we don't want. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so um, I agree with, you know, Todd it, and you. I mean, I don't know whether we're more accepting, less accepting. I think we just know more and we probably judge based on what we know. And, and you know, that leads to um, a, a more chaos, as it were. And right. uh, there was more, it felt like there was in the 40s and the 50s more respect toward leaders. I mean, it was all, you know, from Roosevelt and the media not, um, you know, photographing him in a wheelchair and things right. like that. But the other thing that I think has happened, I began thinking about the topic. Uh, you and I did not have a discussion five weeks ago about it. But I, noticing in the, in the world of business, the education of business people has shifted way toward um, management and efficiency and um, analytics and, uh, you know, the use of data and things like that. And, and yet, if you, look at the, if you look at the best companies that we've come out uh, come out with you know the fang <laughs> facebook uh you know apple so forth and so on right the, the people who have created those companies are not were not managers they were leaders great point and and hewlett and packard were leaders i mean they were engineers yeah but they were leaders yeah. they led the company yeah and when they when they left they had brought in great managers things you know did not go well I think that the from an education perspective, the 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 people who are being trained to be business leaders are are being trained in everything but leadership, and 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 they're they're missing the fact that you know Steve Jobs, Larry and Sergey, and all these people they were leaders. They wanted to build something great. They had a they had a vision of what they what it would do for uh, people. Who knew that these things would end up being this way? And I think that from the world, and Todd, not that Todd's not in business, but from from my world, I mean, when when I was educated, when I went to business school, we spent quite a bit of time on um, what they used to call, you know, human behavior. We right. spent a lot of time on how to communicate, on how to in, uh, inspire. wasn't They didn't use that word, but it was it was a it was more balanced. It was not all yeah. numerically focused. That's all. That's funny because I, when oh go ahead Todd get in there. Well, I just totally agree with what Dave is saying, um, and in a lot of ways, I think our corporations are set up to to be what you just described. Um, in that, a young, inspiring company must be led, and to start a new market, it must be led. To grow quickly, it must be led. To capture market share, it must be led. But as soon as a business, in my observation, becomes financially driven, or driven by the finance department. Hmm. It becomes managed. So I'm at Intel Corporation, and, and the legacy of leadership of the core founders, Robert Noyce and, 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 and more, I mean, that legacy is alive and well in terms of the leadership they provided. That's interesting. But they are no longer there. Yeah. And you can see in the business where, you know, great market share, great reoccurring cash flow. Right. 
And you can tell it's financially driven now. Right. It's now an annuity in a lot of ways. And so it has become a managed business. Right. As opposed to something that's being led. And such businesses over time, you know, fall away or begin to erode or, it's get, hard dis- to replicate. or get disrupted. Yeah. Right. Like, and we see that with some of the great businesses throughout American history. And so the the hard part about that, the, if you look at the system that's in place, I mean, if the definition of a corporation is to benefit the shareholders, right? you will eventually, if you're successful, get to that point hmm. where the only thing you can do is manage it, right? Because you have to money to your shareholders, yeah. more money to your shareholders. It's hard to continue to lead it. I'm, I'm learning a lot as I'm listening to you, so I'm enjoying just uh, talking about this. So let me push back a little bit. So if I'm in a company that is – primarily focused on the efficiency. I loved your definition. I'm going to go back and listen to the podcast just to hear what you said, Dave. Um, That's focused on the finances, focused on efficiency, focused on the data. Uh, I remember when I was in college studying economics, right? They came out with, that's how old I am. They came out with, and they were like, oh, there's a new branch of economics called econometrics. And it began to shift economics from focusing on, because part of economics focused on the behavior of people, and we're getting back there with behavioral economics. But at that time, they were getting more toward data. Like, look at the numbers, let the numbers tell you what it's what's there. So I, I agree with you guys on that. I'm pushing back on the unforgiving part. So if I'm a person who believes that I can make mistakes, I can have the, let's take Mark Zuckerberg, right? And um, Mark Zuckerberg's company gets thrashed at the, in the stock market because they've not handled this whole Facebook election thing well. I'm simplifying the issue, but that's what it is. Um, to be able to handle that kind of failure, that kind of criticism, you have to have some sense that somebody somewhere is going to say, okay, I'm still behind you. Now, you said, Todd, that you think society is more forgiving, but I think the record of how easily we toss people out, whether it's whether it's college coaches, it's CEOs, it just seems like they're on a short leash, and if they blow anything, bam, they're gone because the company is concerned that it's going to affect their brand, and then it's going to determine who gets who was willing to buy their product. And so I don't know that we are as forgiving. I don't, I don't think the newspaper headlines tell me that we are a country that would put up with anything much because you can run up. And I think that I don't want to get too political because that's dangerous. But I think you can even trace some of Trump's success to people loving the fact that he's doing all the things you shouldn't do and he's still president. And I think there's a part of that that people love because it's like he's defying everybody. Now, I'm not saying that's good, but I'm saying that a forgiving and I'm not saying it's to be forgiving at the highest level. So maybe what it is is there is a lot of forgiveness on the way up. But it seems to me you can't make many mistakes today if you're a leader. And that deters people from making mistakes, lends towards more focus on data and efficiency. That's just what I'm thinking. But I may be wrong about that. I'm more trying to get you guys to tell me more about it. I think there might be less tolerance today for hypocrisy. But again, I don't know if we're less graceful as much as we just know more. But knowing more, don't we have to become... And Okay, we know more, but our grace has not increased. That's a fair relationship. And what I'm saying is that I think... and I, I'm, I'm out here in an ocean sailing, yeah, and yeah. I don't know where I'm going. But part of what I think, having led a lot and been in leadership a lot, I think there, for me, it's been a process. And so if you go back to my teen years and you go to my college years... There's lessons learned right up till now, you know, my plus 50 years. There's lessons learned all along the way. And I feel like the cultures that I was part of, the people that were around me are as much a reason that I've been able to become a leader or be a leader as before. I would say I started out not the servant leader because I didn't. That wasn't my definition of leadership. I read history books and I always liked the strong leader, you know, Napoleon. He's going to take it, you know, and lead everything. And so it took me some time to even understand there was another definition And I had to make mistakes along the way to do that. You're listening to Lead Different by Triangle Media. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Make sure to subscribe for more content on Leading Different. Now, back to the show. Well, Zuckerberg is is my model. It's a here's a guy who's running a company who's come up from his college dorm room. He's twenty nineteen. Yeah. He's going to do a lot wrong before he's done. And I and I think he's holding up fine, seems to be holding up fine, and it helps to be a billionaire, right? But I look at that and I go, 
where are the Zuckerbergs running for president? They're nowhere to be seen. Why? It's too risky. You're going to have your kids drawn out there and and you're going to have your marriage drawn out there. You're going to have your what you said in second grade, what you tweeted in, in eighth grade. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm saying this more. I think probably there's more crisis of people willing to lead in public life. I well, that, that's what I wanted to get mm-hmm. into based mm-hmm. on this. Um, the effect of uh, whether we're more forgiving or not, the effect of this um, – Instant information, um, quick judgment kind of uh, cycle that we see all over the place. Right. Is that um, Colin Powell didn't run for president. Uh. And the reason he didn't run for president was he didn't want his family subjected. Everybody has stuff in their background that they're embarrassed by. Right. And um, through an odd connection, (laughs) I won't go into... Um, did, I'm not sure you read his book, um, Journey to America. I, I did not read his book. Well, anyway, uh, one of his top generals when he was the Joint Chief, uh, head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, was a, man, a general named Becton. Right. And Becton had a kid in college with my daughter and my daughter's boyfriend. And so um, my daughter and her boyfriend and Becton went to Washington and they met Powell. And it was around the time that, you know, everybody was saying, you know, why isn't this, why isn't he stepping up yeah. and running for president? Right. And he basically told him, he said, I, I, um, I've served my country my whole life. I would love to serve my country as uh, chief executive, but I'm not going to sub- submit my family to what goes on in a presidential election. Right. And this is like 20 more than 20 years ago. Yeah, before all the, the instant yeah. information was... So I think the, the one effect of the way things are is people who would maybe in a past time want to step up and lead, be it the country or, you know, in any way, are, are cautious about that. Yeah. Because, you know... Well, could that be an increase in cowardice? It could be. Well, uh, John Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King, and uh, Malcolm X all took bullets in the head or bullets. That is risky. Yeah, no, I'm going to step out and lead. I'm and not, there's a cost to I'm it. not denying that at all. And my kids could lose their father. Right. And so if I take your thought to, to the, its final conclusion, no one wants a bullet in the head. Therefore, no one will lead because no one does. And prior. Neither did they. Ah, still but led. prior to their assassination, how many assassinations like that took place? Two presidents. Two plenty. Oh. Malcolm X and Martin Luther King were black men in America. Right, but you're, in the, you're still for, in the same era, though. But for which there were lynchings but you're in left. The same, you're still in the same era. Right. And there are plenty. I said previously. You, previously as a president. No, no, but historically. But historically as black men who stepped out to speak. Right, but I'm I'm not talking about black men. I'm saying you're picking talking, an era of history and you're using that era of history as a frame to say you're a coward if you won't take a bullet. No, I'm not saying, no, he's I'm just not, asking I'm saying the there was a, there was oh. a, in the 60s and 50s, there seems to be uh, probably an uptick of courage. Okay. Okay, not to condemn everyone who's not counting that cost today. Right, right, right. I don't mean to say everyone, but... To lead requires courage. Right. Right. And I don't think there's ever a time in history where you can that requirement's gonna go away. So that that's that's just the cost of leading. But that that that's so the interesting thing about that, and I love I love the discussion. The interesting thing about that is it's always easy for people who are not leading to tell leaders they need to be courageous. That's it, the easiest thing in the world to do, right? The so, Theodore Roosevelt quote quote right yeah step in the arena and absolutely and, and so i i think i think that what i believe in is there's let's take let's go back to england and churchill yep england was primed to want a leader stronger than they had had in decades churchill was over the top that's why people got rid of him i mean that guy was I mean, there's a lot there. I love him, but there's a lot there about his sense of dominance, his sense of elitism about being English, being English noble, et cetera, et cetera. That was all there. And that's why he was pushed out. He was only brought back because Hitler was at the doorstep. That was the, and the, even then, when Chamberlain was going to step down, they didn't want him. They wanted, I can't remember the guy's name. Halifax. They wanted Halifax. They were like, yeah, let's give him Halifax. And so I think that the people have to be in a position 
where they encourage courage. And so the word, I think I like what you're saying, uh, Todd, is that it's not really about being forgiving. That was, that's not the appropriate word for it because that's not what it is. It's that there has to be a culture or the people have to be in a spot where they will encourage courage. And so when Martin Luther King started out, he didn't want to be the leader of, 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 of the organization, the Southern Leadership Conference. He didn't want to be a leader of it. But the people encouraged his courage. And I think they saw his hypocrisy in various areas. Yeah. That happened with the poor man's march around Chicago. Yeah. Yet they still encouraged his courage. I think with Kennedy, he was surrounded by his, you know, the Irish mafia, as they say. They encouraged his courage. So I think I love what you're saying is that this is not an issue of forgiveness. I'm going to go with you on that. This is an issue of courage. But then I will say it's always easy for like Kara Swisher's article about Zuckerberg is about, well, look where he's led Facebook and they've weaponized this and they've done that. And I'm like, okay, um, that's making him responsible for an extraordinary amount of things that is totally unfair. And it would be smart of him to say, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm out of this business. I'm retiring. I'm going to go over here and do this. Let somebody else take over and do this and watch Facebook take a dive. He could do that. And that would be, I suppose, somewhat cowardly, I suppose. Right. But if you're in a culture that says we love the fact that Mark Zuckerberg started in a in a dorm room, has connected millions of people, has changed the lives of millions of people. We love that. So, yeah, he's gotten this wrong, but he got this wrong because of a failure of leadership on a government level. Let's you know. Certainly. So I want to deve- I want to see I, how do we deve- push back on you a little bit. You on sure that? can. I would love I all love right. all the pushback and, and because I'll, that's what makes for. Then I'll double down on the yeah. pushback. <laughs> I, I, I want to push back. I want to push back a little bit. Um, double down on the I, pushback. <laughs> you know, there is this law which is called the law of unintended consequences. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I believe in that law. And it's a it's a big deal. The only thing I would fault Zuckerberg with in in his journey thus far is. I, I, at least it's not apparent to me that he has availed himself of of older, um, experienced uh, people around him where he could ask about, you know, what are the things that could happen here that I'm not thinking about? Right. So uh, his 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 genius was we're going to we're going to allow people to connect with each other, communicate, post pictures, talk about our lives, share. And there was a time when he said if, if uh, when, 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 when privacy issues came up early in the company's history, he said, well, everybody just ought to share everything and then we wouldn't have problems. I remember that. Which is a really naive thing to say. <laughs> but the thing about it is that the, the unintended consequence of Facebook is they collect all this information. Yeah. They have all this information about people. Right. And, and that information can be used for good or for ill. And um, I'm not ascribing any, uh, you know, nefarious uh, motives to what he's doing with that information. But you have to think about what the unintended consequences are going to be of the way you build a business. So, see, I agree with you. Hundred percent. But this is my point, and and you, you, you your guests are helping me get this. this. Is this is my whole point? My point is that that's how you develop leaders. Like that. That if the I'll pick the Secretary of State, or we'll pick him. If someone had come in and said, "This is where government matters," had said, "Look, you have the data of whatever a million, uh, four hundred million people, or whatever, or two hundred million Americans, let's say." And because you have that data, you're going to have to allow something to happen that gives us confidence that you're handling that data appropriately. So we're appointing this task force to examine what you have. You don't have to give away your secrets, but we have people in every venture in America that are government people that know banking secrets and are able to keep them. We're going to have them in there. He'd have been, it'd been better if he had just walked down the street, right, and asked some CEOs that are, you know, living in his neighborhood and said, hey, can you, would you come over to my house? But I think that's part of the the right education. I think the education that I'm probably saying is a, a, a deterrent to leadership is the education that takes place in, in, in the media. That That is the examination of, and to some degree, the destruction of people who could lead instead of there being some mechanism by which they are being coached up. Now, they have to make that choice. I get that. Okay, I'll push back on both slightly. Go for um, it. So in terms of your point, 
Russ, about encouragement and the culture of encouragement. Yeah. I think encouragement is a basic human need. So any leader has to have a circle, however big that circle is, be it right. three people or 300. Right. Where they can draw encouragement. Right. Point. But if a leader depends on the adulation of the larger crowd and need encouragement from the greater culture, mm-hmm. that leader is doomed to fail from the I agree start. with that 100%. And the great leaders throughout history have actually had to operate in many cases, without the adulation or encouragement of the greater crowd. And so, again, I think that goes back to the courage piece. Uh, Dave mentioned... Well, can I just sure, jump in on that? Sure. That's such a good point. So, I agree with that 100%. The question is, how do you teach someone between the ages of 15, let's say, and 30 to go seek that out? How do you help someone know? Because... I know I never learned that. There was no class I took in college. I think I did learn some from coaches, but not a lot about how you proceed down the path of maturing as a leader. Because the things you're talking about, even courage, that's a mature thing. There's a book called The Seminarian about Martin Luther King that talks about him in the seminary and, and, and what he went through and, 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 and some things that, 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 that probably weren't good that he was doing. Uh, as far as, you know, studying and all this stuff, I won't get into all the details. I can go read that book. But I think there's the things you talk about to me are really good, but they're things that come about after someone's been on the journey for a while. And I don't think they're easy to get. I don't think it's easy to become a courageous person. I think some people are born with gifts, you know, but if you look at Churchill, I think he had a tremendous amount of ambition and he had a tremendous desire to be, I mean, Churchill had a tremendous desire to fight in wars and thought death would be glorious. So there are people like that. They just, you know, they're like, Hey, I'm going for it. Um, I'm just concerned that, 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 and I like the pushback. I'm just tossing the yeah, yeah, back yeah. over yeah. that you're oversimplifying how difficult it is to be a leader. Uh, I think it's okay. Sorry. I think it's really hard to that be a leader. That wasn't an accusation. I'm just, I, that I was, think it's really hard to be a leader. Yeah. And that's why I think it, it, it requires deliberate training and culture that teaches it. And I think we can infuse in our young women and young men or young girls and young boys courage. And it often ta- uh, requires being a part of something greater than oneself, because if I'm only thinking about myself, the courage will not follow. So courage outside of pro- for profit comes with great loss, because if you have the courage to stand up and then you let's take the extreme example, you get shot or the less extreme example, you get attacked. Then once that happens, you're alone like Winston Churchill and not a lot of people want that for their life. They don't want their life to be, I gave my life to a cause. I mean, let's take. You hit it. Want for my life. That's uh, if, you know, if, if leadership can't typically be driven by that desire. So then how do you motivate someone to want to be a leader? Because everybody has the self-interest of I want a quality life. I'd like to live a while and I'd like to have I, some. If, if you look at MLK's last speech when he said, when he kind of knew he was about to get killed. Yeah. And he said. I, of course, I want a long life. Right. Longevity has its place. Right. And he had young kids. And he said, but he accepted, that's not my lot. Right. That's not my. And then he started shaking. And how sat many down. MLKs we got? And though? he ran out of air. How many MLKs do we have in history? Because he's about to bullet the next day. But how many, how many do we have in history? I mean, because we're talking about leadership crisis. If you're going to have to wait for the MLKs, we're finished. That's the, that's the, that's the, uh, obviously a more extreme example. Yeah. But. Just, You're saying on a on a, on on just a, a, on a local ground level. How do we teach kids to have character and conviction? Right. And it'll show itself in many different ways. I think the combination of those two, like I said at the very beginning, is at a crossroads right now. Dave, my concern on it is that, that as I told Todd, I, I think oversimplification, I don't mean that to be a negative word. I, I think some, you've had a long journey in leadership. And so... I think you know how up it goes, how down it goes, how tough it is in life, on life. I'm I'm concerned. I see this in in the work I do, um, whether it's in in the little startup world of finding people who are willing to make sacrifices to to build, which may be taking less money for a while while you're building a product that may even be to help people less than to make money whether it's in the spiritual realm of, of, of helping people be motivated to, to serve and do good things, even though they're not getting a financial you know, benefit from it. Um, I find a lot of people don't want to be leaders. 
I find a lot of people don't. I, I, I tremendous numbers, and I worry that 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 the and and, and I think the thing you point out, Todd, mm. the, and I've done it in this conversation by using the big example ones. We it probably exaggerates how tough it is to be a leader. Yeah. So I hear that. Yeah. But I I I I'm a little bit more on the journey side going. I look at my, I look at my journey and I go, wow, you know, it, you, you, it, it's tough. And it, you make, you, you make mistakes every day. Every time you open your mouth, you, you look 10 years past and you go, what was I doing as you, as you get older? And you're like, I don't even know why I, I don't even know why I made those choices I made. Or you get trained by somebody to lead in a way that's totally not effective. And then you have to unlearn what you learn and then learn from people, new ways to learn. So I, I, I'm in, I'm on that journey side of will people take up that journey with the level of difficulty that it seems to present? Well, I think our incentive structure is, is, is incorrect, right? So Dave made a great point about Zuckerberg and the naivety of some of the early um, uh, decisions that were made without full consideration of long-term consequences. Right. But I say, I don't think that's new at all. And I think you could look at any, era of American industry and there's naivety across the board, be it Ford, be it Rockefeller, be it you name it. Yeah. And we are suffering the consequences of that now. <laughs> like if you follow <laughs> if you follow global warming or anything like that, those are naive short term decisions that were made because the incentives for them were really, really positive financially. Same with Zuckerberg, right? Our whole economic uh, structure is around four year, ten year increments. Yeah, never longer than, longer than that. Yeah, right. Where older, more mature cultures might have thought about multi generational type of decisions. Right. So there's more sustainability and things like that. Right. And so there is a systemic nature to the that's fact just, that you're, every saying, you're saying that's just how it is. That's how we that, have built this country. That's, that, that, well, that's, oh boy, that leads to a whole other discussion, but. Um, uh, meaning, is, 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 is did we do it intentionally? I don't think we did it intentionally. I just think there was, you know, I it's only, the nature of man. I only right? live seventy years, eighty <laughs> years, right? So I want mine, right? <laughs> That's the culture but we're a part it's, of. Right? It's the nature of man, though, right? Not I mean, necessarily. There are plenty of cultures that didn't live that way. Oh, as successful as the United States, it, depending on how you measure success. Oh, if you look okay. at it just right. GDP, then no. Okay. But if you look okay. at it as sustainable over a long period of time, yes. Yeah, Dave. I'm, we're we're both looking to you for it's wisdom. All you, Dave. We're both we're I'll both out there. We're both out there in the ocean with our sailboats going. We think we're getting somewhere, but we don't know. Uh, well, we, I want to come back to your question, which was basically, you know, how do, how do we encourage people to be to be leaders? Yeah. Um, my response to that is um, leadership requires mentorship. Mm-hmm. You have to have people around you who tell you the truth. Yeah. In many instances. We don't want to hear the truth, right? Be it about marriage or, yeah. <laughs> you know, raising kids. Yeah, um, it's amazing to me how little that, that the whole the whole aspect of mentorship is 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 valued and understood. And and it's interesting, uh, just kind of across the board, some cultures uh, consider it uh, demeaning. Um, I had a consulting client uh, who um, is a. a uh, somebody who, who moved to this country from somewhere else. And, right. and uh, I posted um, on LinkedIn that I was going to be doing consulting with this company. And this individual had a number of his uh, of friends, contacts, reach out to him saying, is this, is this real? Are you, are you really getting help? And so, you know, I basically was asked to take the posting down. Interesting. And, um, and I was just blown away. I said, really? And I, mm. So, I mean, um, I think that th- this sounds self-serving because I'm the oldest guy in the room. But on, on the whole, I don't see a lot of situations where, um, you know, mentoring is, is valued. I think that lands pretty squarely um, or addresses pretty squarely my concern. I think part of what is hard about being a leader is if you're alone and the people who tend to be less caught up into the adulation of the crowd are people who are mature enough to have already figured out that's not going to be with you forever anyway. I mean, that's how I live. I live like, you know what? Um, I, when I was young, I used to think, man, if people are cheering your name and 
and and thanking you and patting you on the back, you're in good shape. And then you realize in the down moments when they're not patting you on the back, you sit there and go, hey, what happened to all that? And you start learning, I can't live for that and I can't have that. But I think it takes someone older to tell you that. And I think our the point maybe we're all we all are converging on, and I'm going to check with you guys on this, is that at the end of the day, leadership is hard. And sometimes I think one thing a leader has to do is he has to pick his culture right. He has to say, this is the organization I want to lead. And don't go lead something where the culture is going to eat you up. And so you got to say, if you see that, you got to get out of there. You want to be in a culture that they're going to mentor you. They're going to understand you. They're going to be patient with you. They're going to let you make mistakes. Uh, they're going to let you do things wrong. And probably um, the mentorship part of it is the part that it, it's interesting. I've, I face it with guys that are younger than me. They really want to prove they can do stuff. And they, and they can sometimes think if I get help, then that detracts from my accomplishment. Um, and I don't, th- I don't think it does. Mm. Uh, um, and so I think that's probably hard. And I think going back to what we were, what we were bouncing back and forth about, um, and I like how we switch that word unforgiving. Cause I, 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 I mean, we need to be gracious, but I think, I think I, I think we're, what we're talking about, about development mm. is a much bigger issue and a mentor, I would think would, say to someone who is at a certain age, say they're 25 and they're making mistakes, certain area would say, you know, you shouldn't take that promotion. You shouldn't go over there and try and run that. You're not ready. And, and that, that, that's how you protect yourself. Or when you go down and fall on your face to help you get back up, I'll tell you guys a story. I want to, so when I moved here in 93 to the Silicon Valley, um, I took a, I was, uh, took a, I took a program at Stanford, uh, um, on innovation. They had a program in innovation. Jim Collins was there. One of my favorite business thinkers, um, several engineering people, MBA, mm. uh, business school people from Berkeley were there. And uh, it was sort of my introduction to the place, but it was all about leadership and innovating and leadership. And it introduced ideas to me. I'm from the East coast in a lot of ways that I hadn't thought about, you know, they were much more into the Silicon Valley type. Well, in fact, the first story I heard was about Hewlett Packard, <laughs> Jim Collins. First thing he said is this is how you build a company. And I sat there and went, well, I hadn't heard that story, you know, that they, that they did, they, they were what he says, they were more concerned about who's on the bus than about what they were trying to do. And that's mm. why they built such a great company. But in the evening session, and there's about 40 people in the program, in the evening session, Steve Jobs was there, but he was at Next. And I had read the book Odyssey by John Scully, so I'm expecting this, you know, charismatic, dynamo guy. And I walk in, he's got his kid with him, and he's talking, and I'm like, this isn't the guy, this isn't the guy I read about in the book. I mean, and I actually said, asked him after he was done talking, he talked about leadership and I asked a few questions. I said, how do you, how do you pick leaders? What do you do? And I was sort of struck by the depth of his understanding, but he was at the time being seen as sort of a failure. Like what happened to that dude? And I walked out with him and I was like, Hey, can I come over to next sometime? Because there's nothing there, but computers, you don't want to come over there. And, and he was so ordinary. Like I was expecting so much power. And I, and I, I think that kind of stuck in my head Mm. as a lot of, a lot of people cast him aside and yet, you know, arguably he now could be argued to be the greatest CEO of the early 21st century, 20th century. He could be in that discussion of whether it's a hundred people or whatever. Um, and I think he still probably, Dave, you know better than me. He still probably had some of the weaknesses that he had previously, but time, age, a little bit of time in the wilderness and he became, you know, extraordinary the thing that I think was extraordinary is I read an article where he was interviewed. He goes, well, I think the difference is I've learned I need a team and I can't do it by myself. And, um, I don't think a lot of people are taught that. It would be my point. I, 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 I mean, probably somebody out there who taught me would say, I taught you that, but I wasn't taught that early. Like I was taught you need to be the star, you know, you get up there and hit the most shots, do the most stuff, be, you accomplish it, show people you can do it. And then you get older and you realize that that just makes you tired and it makes you make a lot of mistakes and you, cause you overreach and you exhaust yourself and you burn yourself out and you don't even know it. Um, he's my example of a mm. guy who I look at and I say, I'm not sure politically that, I, that, and this is such a big statement. I should be careful, but I'm not sure politically that we know how to develop a Steve Jobs in the political world, that we know how to let a guy go off to the wilderness and show back up later after having, you know, totally fallen on his face and then run for president. Maybe we do. Maybe it's just that they don't have the courage that you were talking about to come back. But I appreciate your story. A quick story about uh, what Dave said around mentorship. Um, 
I don't know if Dave remembers this, but about 10 years ago, Dave gave me an hour of his time. And uh, I was an overeager, young professional, Silicon Valley, et cetera. <laughs> Met with him, and uh, he talked about a number of things very calmly, as he is today. Yeah. And he shared uh, two things that jumped out. One about his journey of self-awareness as it relates to leadership. And he also shared with me, encouraged me to be more patient and more faithful and to stop jumping around, quite frankly. (laughs) It was one hour of his time. I must have revisited those two points hundreds of times. And I've shared those two points via that story with dozens of people. Unlike Russ, I don't take credit for it. (laughs) I I say uh, a friend of mine, Dave Banks, and I think when you shared about mentorship, I was like, man, I spent an hour with Dave and it can, I'm, you know, we're 10, 15 years later. I continue to grow on the advice that you gave me in that one hour. Mm. And it's really powerful. And I share those stories all the time about you. I don't think I ever came back and told you that, <laughs> but I tell them, you know, that it came from you, not me. But anyways, I think that's a, a, a story I just wanted to share about mentorship and Dave's point. So I think we've had a good discussion and I, I, I think that if you guys tell me if I'm correct or if I'm wrong, but I think one thing we all agree on is there's a crisis in leadership, but that crisis is in the development of leadership, the development of leaders that we have to, we have to improve, develop the infrastructure, the culture where great leaders can be developed. And that uh, it's not necessarily saying we're worse off than we ever have been in history, but we haven't figured out how to, I'm going to put words in all of our mouths. We haven't been able to figure out how to take those, those maybe local leaders that are out there being courageous and get them to step up into, to more leadership Yeah, that we think part of that is courage, that, that, that courage has to be nurtured, the willingness to say, it doesn't matter if the crowd's cheering my name or not. And that part of that is mentorship that you can't get that kind of courage unless you have somebody watching over you like a parent. So you can walk, fall, walk, fall and get back up. Um, one thing's for sure from what we're talking about today, that you have to be intentional about developing leaders. It's mm-hmm. not just going to happen. Um, so hopefully I'll get you guys back because I could sit here for three hours. No, I could sit here all day and just have them bring in food and keep talking. <laughs> bring in food, bring in food. With <laughs> <you guys. laughs> well, I, 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 I could have a long, I could have a two hour one with you on Churchill and a three hour one with Scott, with Todd on, uh, on courage and leadership because it's such an expansive subject. So hopefully I'll get you guys back and we'll keep, I love the fact that we're all pooling our sort of experience and opinions and coming in with some kind of consensus about what we think. And uh, I'll leave you with this. Todd put down competence, character and connection. I think that's a good place to start. Also, don't forget to go read uh, the book alone by William Manchester that, that I really recommend. Dave would recommend the whole set uh, by William Manchester on uh, on Churchill. He certainly epitomizes everything we're talking about today, the ups and downs and all. Thanks a lot for listening to our podcast, Leading Different. Thank you to Todd Singleton and Dave Banks for joining me, Russ Yule, and trying to figure out what may be the unfigurable, but we enjoyed the journey. Have a great day. <laughs>